We've now come to the 60th and final part of a series on the Old Testament. And uh, I want to begin by telling a story. When I was 23, I ran a kids club in a local church for 11 to 14 year olds on a Friday night. And we would just do fun stuff. And then the same kids would meet on a Sunday afternoon for, for kids church and uh, they would have Bible teaching and so on. And um, there was a, a girl in the church was uh, given the responsibility of booking the people to speak at this the Sunday afternoon kids' church. And one Sunday she approached me and said, would you be interested in teaching Bible stories on Sunday afternoon? Since it's the same group of kids, you already know them, it would make sense. I said, sure, Let's. why don't we get together tomorrow night and plan it? So um, Monday night, we got together to have a planning meeting. But um, we discovered we had a lot in common, and we didn't get much planning done. So at the end of the meeting, we said, OK, let's meet tomorrow night and do some more planning. So we met the next night, and we had a lot of fun, but um, didn't get any planning done. And it, so it went on, and in the end, I married her. And here she is. <laughs> yeah. So what I what I discovered was that um, we did I did we did get some planning I did do some teaching, and um, uh, when I learned stories in in kids church as a as a child, you hear like bits of stories from everywhere and they're great stories and you can learn things about the Bible and about God and so on, but um, uh, and that's fine for younger children, but you really, as people get become teenagers, they need a little bit more of like a context and you can't just give them a whole dump, a whole load of stories on them. How does this, like what is actually, how does this all fit together? And I decided that I really wanted to give something a little bit more coherent to these kids. Something that, that really, because they needed to, they were going to be going out into the world, they'd face all these, these um, uh, attacks on Christianity. So I decided I did. I needed to do some study, and I got hold of a book, which um, <clears throat> uh, survey of the Bible. This is called by William Hendrickson, and I know because I wrote the date. I was 24 by the time I got it, and I wrote the date in the front, and uh, I, I marked all the way through when I was reading what, and I was so excited because I saw that here was somebody who actually had a really coherent structure, that everything made sense. The whole of the Old Testament fitted together into an organized plan, and everything was going somewhere. The other thing was that he showed all the archaeological dates and how it all connected together, and um, that um, actually a lot of the, 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 the events we can tie into archaeology and uh, into other dates. So, for example... Uh, when we come to the time of the Assyrians and Babylonians, they kept very detailed records, and we can tie in the events that happened in Israel with their records, and their records are also linked to solar events, like eclipses and so on, which we now, scientifically, can give you the exact precise date of. And so we can then tie down biblical events to astronomical precision. And so this is... I was very excited to see this. And so... A lot of the material theologically that I've been covering in the last 60 sessions on this subject have been coming from the work of this guy, but many other people I've, I've read since. But what I thought I would do was to just end up by giving a big story which helps you 
to read the Bible as you are, as you are studying it yourself. And my goal here is to provide a framework for you <coughs> to fit all these accounts together and to show how it fits into world history. It's not just a bunch of tales and to give, uh, to give a sense of flow in the storyline. <coughs> and so if we, we can look at the, the overarching storyline and fit it into 10 time periods. And so I'm going to go through just very briefly the first one, creation to Abraham. And uh, that's the, the, the first time section. I'm not going to try and put a date on that, but I'm going to say the second one, which is the patriarchs and matriarchs, which would be 215 years. So that would be from the first mention of Abraham right the way through to the end of the life of Joseph. And that's the, 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 the second period that we have there. And then the third one would be slavery in Egypt. Now, I've colored this differently, you'll see. This is, and I'm going to show how these things group together in a minute. So they end up at the end of um, uh, Jacob's life down in Egypt. And things are okay to start with, but eventually they become slaves. And we have that period of 430 years. And then we have the time of coming out with the, of the, the of slavery going through the Red Sea and, and conquest, which is 61 years, including the time of conquest. And then we have the period of judges, which is 336 years. So that's, if you like, that's a block where Israel were a nation. They became a nation while they were in slavery, and that's to a, a, the end of the, the first phase of them being a nation. And then something radical happens. They have a king, and there are three kings you would begin with. What are the three kings called? Saul, David, and Solomon. Yes, the three kings. And that kicks off a new era. Three kings. And then we have the northern, the kingdom split, the northern kingdom to captivity, and then the southern kingdom to captivity. The northern kingdom was split off from the south after the reign of Solomon, when his son made some stupid decisions and caused a civil war, a rift in the nation, and that we had the north and the south, and they're tracked separately after that. And the northern kingdom was taken off, first of all, into <coughs> captivity, and then <coughs> a number of many years later, the southern kingdom was. Yeah. So where is it? Where is the northern kingdom? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, you know what? That, I should name that, um, the division of the kingdoms to, to the northern captivity. Yeah, divisions, yes. Yes, that's the southern kingdom on its own, yes. Yeah. And then we have the Babylonian exile, 50 years, and then return to the birth of Jesus, 531 years. And it's amazing how precisely you can date Jesus' birth, because you know, it talks about you know, when Herod, Herod died. We know Herod died, and we can precisely date the death of Herod, and so you can really, really tie that in very precisely. It's quite beautiful how these things work. So I'm not going to ask you to remember that. I've got a slightly simplified version to try and put in your memory, and I've got four eras now, which I'm going to group the first two together, Creation to the patriarchs and matriarchs, which would be um, right up to the time of uh, going down to Egypt. And uh, we, I'm not going to try and date 
the, the first part of that, but from Abraham to Egypt is 215 years. And we read those stories in Genesis. So that's the, that's the, um, that's basically the story of Genesis, that first era. The second era, the nation of Israel, I've called it the nation disorganized. So by that, I mean, they don't have kings and sometimes it's rather chaotic. They've got judges, they've got, um, disorganization and that's, um, 827 years from being in Egypt, first becoming a nation, to this point. And we read from Exodus to 1 Samuel, that part. So all the stories in there are in this section here. And I'm going to give you a little quiz on this in a moment, okay? So, the third one, the nation of Israel under kings. And this is 484 years. This is from... Um, it's first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. And this is, uh, this is the period under Kings. And from the first King Saul to the last King who was taken into captivity. And then we have the exile and return till the birth of Jesus. And you read about that in Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So that is, uh, that's, uh, uh, an overview of how this works together. And um, we, as I said, we can quite precisely date a lot of these things. It's interesting that one of the most effective ways of dating in these times, the archaeologists will tell you, is pottery. You, you'll find pottery everywhere because you keep breaking things, you know, and there, there are shards of pottery. And that pottery was very distinctive for each age because you'd see decorations on the pottery. And that would like be, there would be like fashions that would come in. And just as in our day, you could see a photograph and you could look at the fashion in that photograph, the, what they were wearing. You could say, you know, that would date it maybe in the 60s or something like that, because you know what the fashions were. And this is how the fashions for pottery. So you can date it really, really well. So um, Anne is the expert if you want to talk to her about pottery. But um, this this um, this really helps us to, to see that these are not just stories. You know, we use the word story for, for fables, for just things. These are accounts. These happened in history at specific times, and they flowed together. They all made sense. So just going to unpack this, uh, this slightly. Um, give you, I'm going to give you uh, a key story in each of these. So I would say the first one, creation, the patriarchs and make matriarchs, maybe um, a key story would be Isaac being born to Abraham and Sarah after 25 years of, of waiting. So that would be first one. Second one, um, I would say maybe crossing the Red Sea and enter and, and uh, leaving Egypt, leaving, escaping slavery would be a key story in the second one. Key story in the third would be maybe David and Goliath as we get the nation coming under kings. And then the last one would be a key story would be Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel in captivity. So those are four very well-known stories that would represent those four periods of time. But I'm going to give you some more stories in a minute. So let's just zoom in now on this first era. There's the creation to the patriarchs and matriarchs. And it begins with creation and uh, God speaking the world into existence. And then we have a time when the, um, the nation, sorry, the, the people on the earth become 
um, really uh, very, very wicked, and God brings forth a flood. And then after the flood, we have the time of Abraham and Isaac. So, by the way, that's not a, a historical photograph. That's just an artist's impression. So let's, I want to just spend a little bit more time on that and see what's going on in that. So uh, we, get, we start with creation, and then we have Adam and Eve, the fall, first sin, and going to murder. And then the earth begins to decline as people become more and more rebellious against God. And because of the amount of evil, God brings a flood. After the flood, it looks like things are still getting evil. And so God chooses Abraham as Sarah to carry his name, and he's going to use them as a light to the world. Then they, their children, their son Isaac marries Rebecca, and then they have Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those sons is Joseph, who leads them down into Egypt to escape the famine. And so that's a, just a, a quick overview of what happened in the first, the stories that happened in the first, this first era. And, uh, this is, this era here is, is full of, it's lots of hope, but the hopes turn to, for the most part, turn to discouragement. Something more has to happen. Uh, the, the, there's a creation, but then sin gets in, there's the flood to clear it out, but then sin gets back in again. Um, Abraham and Sarah are a mark of hope, but what about their children and their grandchildren? Things don't look good by the end of this time. So by the end of this time, you get a, a, a followers, descendants of, uh, Abra- of Abraham, but things are really not looking that good. So what happens then? We move into the second era. The second era then the nation becomes a nation, they begin to get organized, and key, they, there's a tabernacle built, and there is uh, entering the land, and uh, here's a, a real picture of a real archaeologist who we happen to know who excavated Jericho, pointing to the place where the walls fell down, which has got some great historical um, substantiation there. And uh, so let's look at the stories that happened in the second time. Um, we have Moses is born. He's, he's hidden, but then he's discovered. And he has to escape because he murders an Egyptian. We have the story of the burning bush. We have then the ten plagues where Moses says to Pharaoh, set my people free. We have the Passover and the escape from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, receiving the law at Mount Sinai, constant rebellion against God and against Moses, then entering the promised land. Once they're in the promised land, they have judges like uh, Deborah and Gideon. Some of the judges were really good, like Deborah. Some of them started off well like Gideon, but they were ended up pretty badly. And then we have... Um, Samuel, who was the last of the judges, he was good, but his sons were so evil and so corrupt. And we end with the, with the book of Judges with um, a, with a constant refrain that 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 everybody did what was 
right in their own sight because there was no king, there was no organization. In fact, Israel was becoming just like the nations around them. So with this part two of this story then, we start off with God building a nation in Egypt. Wonderful thing, he chooses them for himself. He takes them through the wilderness, does amazing things for them. But by the end of this time, they're just becoming like the other nations. What's God going to do? God's going to choose a man after his own heart to lead the nation. This is actually a picture, supposed to be a picture of Solomon, but um, greeting the Queen of Sheba. But uh, it's uh, God, God chose a king. And we have originally this first story, we have of David as David and Goliath. And we have um, him hunted by Saul. We have David's adultery and murder. So even this supposedly man who is going to be an image of God to the nation turns out to be very flawed. And then his son Solomon builds the temple, but then his son Solomon has all kinds of flaws by the number of wives that he marries. And then after he dies, his very, very foolish son splits the kingdom. We have kings getting worse and worse. We have Ahab and Jezebel, who were basically worshipping the most evil and corrupt gods they could find. And then we have prophets like Elijah and Elisha who were speaking out against them, and they became as corrupt as the nations. And so this is the account of... Uh, this this third period and again it starts off with some hope a new a new hope for israel in a king who's a man after god's own heart but it begins to go down like this but there is some hope because david has written a whole lot of psalms which seem to be speaking about someone who's going to be coming in the future and other prophets are speaking as well like um elisha and and others who are speaking about something that's going to happen in the future. Isaiah and other prophets. And something is going to happen. But we have the, the, the city is, is, um, is so evil that they're supposed to be representing God. But they are as corrupt and as evil as the nations around them. And God sends the Babylonians on them to, to bring them, to destroy the city and to bring them into captivity. And so the very last part of the story um, of is is the new is the final hope that comes with the birth of Jesus Christ and finally a light dawns but we don't read that in the Old Testament we have to wait for the new but it's prophetically there in some of the imagery so the last parts then stories Daniel and the lion's den which I'm sure every kid has heard who's gone to kids church three men in the fiery furnace Queen Esther, the return with Ezra of people to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And then prophets speaking of a coming Messiah. Um, But again, this new kingdom is a shadow of what David's kingdom was. This temple that they built when the people who, some people were still alive who remembered Solomon's temple and they wept when they saw the new one because they, it was just so, such a, an, an unworthy copy of the old one. So what's going on here? 
So this is the storyline, and the storyline is a mixture of hope, but of unfulfillment as of yet. And many of the stories have got this combination that's built into them. And we're talking, as I, when I come to the closing time, about what, how this, why it works like this. But what I want to do now is to make you do some work. Um, let's put, put the, the plan up. Story of Ruth, where does that come in? Second, and you say the third. It's, it's the second. It's disorganized. It's during the time of the judges. Okay, what about Naaman cleansed of leprosy? Three. Yes, it's the nation under kings. It's uh, during the time of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elijah specifically. Um, okay, the Tower of Babel. One. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> that was before Abraham. <clears throat> what about Job, the book of Job? And this is a trick question. One. Any other suggestions? You'd go for one as well. Yeah, We'd, we're not told, um, not precisely told, but it does seem that it's one. Almost certainly it's in period one. What about Jonah and the fish? It's, no, it's not four. No, it's three. He's under three. Oh, you agree with me? Yeah. Uh, what about, um, yeah, because there are kings at that time. Yeah. What about um, Joshua has an encounter with God? Yeah, two. That's right. Yes. Okay. You're doing right. So what I'm trying to give you is a model so that when you're reading the Bible, you know how this fits in. And the important part then of this model, and this is the, this is the most important part that I'm going to close with now, is what it means for us. Why is this important for us to have this together? <clears throat> so virtually all civilizations on this planet have stories of their ancestors which give them a sense of heritage and a value, a sense of meaning. Uh, what's remarkable about the Judeo-Christian narrative is that ultimately there are no heroes. The closest you can get to a hero might be someone like David, but they were very, very flawed. Or maybe Abraham, but then he had flaws as well. Um, so uh, if a nation had invented their own mythology to explain how they came to be, they would have done a better job than this. One of the strongest arguments for the accuracy of the Old Testament is how badly it represents the people who own it as their story. Because if it's made, no way would you make up a story of heroes that looks like that. No way would you do that. I mean, the Greek gods had some flaws in them and they did some bad stuff, but ultimately they are heroes. And this, this is a story of, of stuff that held out promise, but then didn't come to anything. So what's the point is, the reason is that it's designed to leave you waiting for the part that completes it. Each part of this story, each part of this narrative is to, is to designed in order to leave you saying, well, if David was like that, what, what's the answer then? If, if Abraham was like that, 
If, if this is what happened to the nation of Israel, what's the answer then? And of course, the answer increasingly was being told by the prophets. And, the, and they're not, of course, listed here in my, my time because I'm just listing narrative. The, the answer was told, there will be coming one who will put everything right. There will be coming one. And even right from the beginning, even from Abraham, there is the hint of this coming one who, through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. We hear the, the sacrifice of, of Isaac, which, who was replaced with a substitute ram. We have all of these pictorial events. We have Israel saved out of Egypt through the Passover, where the blood of a lamb was the cost of the freedom. And so all the way through, but increasing clarity until prophets like Isaiah, who are right at the end of the third period, moving into the fourth period, were talking about he was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. Very, very clear. So the reason then it's designed to leave you waiting is because all of these stories are not designed to be completely self-contained, but all of them to give you a sense, okay, but that was then, but ultimately this is answered in Jesus. Each era leaves us dissatisfied and increasing numbers of clues are given. So when you are reading the Bible, and this is the last thing that I want to say, and I really want you to really take this to heart. When you're reading the Old Testament, I want you to say to yourself, how does this fit in with the big story? The story of the hope of the world being Jesus Christ, the only hope. And you can do that by fitting it in to part of the story. And then you can see how it maybe advanced that part and moved us towards this. And I want to say that as I have since that time, as a 23-year-old started studying the Old Testament, I've become increasingly confident of the truth of this narrative and anchored in the truth of what was God was doing and encouraged that it all does fit together as a song with the same tune that comes through that Jesus was bringing the climax to in the new. So I want to encourage you to read the old, but don't read it as a bunch of stories. Read it as part of the big story. Then you can see yourself in that story. Where are you in that story? Well, you're flawed, just like I'm flawed. And this is the great news as we read these stories. Very, very flawed people, very broken people were used incredibly by God to do amazing things. And God isn't going to make you perfect in this life. That's not the goal. Paul says, you know, in my weakness, he is strong. And so as you read those stories... I want you to be encouraged that in your own brokenness and flaws, God can do incredible things with your life that can be part of the beautiful symphony that is being played, which will come to its climax in the new creation. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're just going to, going to come to God in prayer and commit this to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story that you have given us. We thank you, God, for the beauty 
of the narrative, but also the, the brokenness and the terrible sadness. And Lord, we thank you that you have made sense of all of this in the most wonderful way possible. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would see ourselves as part of this story, that you are taking us from brokenness to beauty and perfection through your dear son, Jesus Christ. Encourage us now as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen.